Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Morning. What a delight it is here to be with you this morning. I'm moving you. Move me. All right. O to the X. X marks the spot. I, uh, you know, in all the times and decades that I've been in churches and watched speakers, I don't think I have ever seen such an enthusiastic welcome. So, and imagine this, imagine going to be a speaker somewhere, and before you speak, you have an opportunity with the people of God to just receive a fresh filling of His Spirit. What a great deal that is. One of the common elements in our humanity is struggle. Our experiencing difficulty, crisis, trauma, and loss, at which some point all of us will experience. Now, stress can be acute, sudden, intense, and traumatic, such as the death of a loved one, injury, unexpected betrayal, or being the victim of an accident or crime. But we can also suffer chronic stress, This is the ongoing things that grind away at us. Family and relationship conflict, physical and mental health struggles, or caring for a family member who's struggling with these. Difficulty in the workplace and financial stressors, isolation, or ongoing disappointment. The pandemic and its resulting restrictions and isolation have worsened the struggles that we experience in several ways. First, there is the loss or difficulty in our relationships, health, or finances that have come as a direct result of the pandemic and its restrictions. Then, the existing challenges in our relationship, health, and finances have been exposed or strained because of the stress and pressure associated with the pandemic, making them more difficult and undermining our ability to cope with them. And then finally, there's just this general anxiety from the ongoing disruption and uncertainty that exists on a global scale, which is something that most of us have never before experienced. A sound mind or healthy thinking is a key area regarding resilience. Resilience refers to the ability to positively adapt to stressors, maintaining or recovering our well-being in the face of stress, crisis, and trauma. Resilience allows us to recover from adversity and difficult experiences. Now, some people may be born with a greater capacity for resilience, or growing up, they may have had more opportunity to learn resilience. However, resilience is about how we think, respond, and live. So it is something that any of us can learn. Regardless of how resilient we are or how intentionally we work to develop this, we will still feel loss and pain, stress and pressure. Acute or chronic stress can undermine even the most resilient person, impacting us physically, even impacting us neurologically, and resulting in struggles with depression or anxiety or burnout that must include a holistic treatment that also includes medical treatment. There's also certain tragedies or losses from which we will never fully recover. Yet God wants us to bring us to a certain and unshakable place, resting in his goodness and that he will make a way for us. The American Psychological Association gives four key areas, pardon me, 
four key areas through which we build resilience. Connection, wellness, meaning and purpose, and healthy thinking, or what we're calling this morning a sound mind. Now, connection is our sense of belonging and community that comes from relationship with God and others. And wellness simply is taking care of our body. Now, some of this is pretty basic for us, but hard to maintain when we're under stress, and particularly hard when some of our ways of coping run contrary to taking care of ourselves. Eating a tub of ice cream while binge-watching Netflix is not going to be conducive to wellness. Wellness includes proper nutrition, getting enough sleep, hydration, regular exercise, taking a Sabbath rest each week, being creative, and pursuing recreation. The third area, meaning and purpose, comes from knowing that our lives matter, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And I'm sure that many of you can think of how being a follower of Jesus connected in, in context with a community of believers, how this affects those first three areas. Now, the final area of healthy thinking or a sound mind, this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time exploring together. I want you to notice in the following two scripture passages that they're about God changing the way we think, or certain translations say it's about renewing our minds. From Ephesians, Paul writes, you were told that your foolish desires will destroy you and that you must give up your old ways of life with all its bad habits. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. And then Paul again also writes in Romans, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So given that the way we think is shaped by what we believe, let's take a quick look at how we form beliefs. In this simple graphic, uh, Rob, by the way, thank you, beautiful slides you created for me. Much appreciated. Here's just a simple frame, framework or simple graphic. We experience something and then we understand or we interpret that experience and how we understand that experience shapes what we believe. Now, now, why do I believe that God is good? Oh, the songs this morning were just perfect. I'm trying to, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting there, I have a pen. I deliberately didn't bring a pen. And I'm scribbling in my notes, right? You know, oh, add this and bring this in. And this morning, I left my pen at home. However, singing about the goodness of God. Why do I believe God is good? Because I have consistently and repeatedly experienced over almost four decades the goodness of God, and I have come to understand that that goodness is not dependent on my performance. It is not something I've earned. It's not something I've entitled to. It's not something I needed to be good enough. It is simply based on his mercy and his kindness and his goodness, and that is shaped that I believe in the goodness of God. Now, so on the next slide, it, it's fairly simplistic, and we're going to consider beliefs that we may have formed from experiences as children. Now, children are egocentric, and that means that their understanding of themselves is based on the world around them. So if their experience in the world around them is safe and secure and warm and loving, their understanding about themselves is that they are good. But if their experience in the world around them has chaos or conflict, 
it's not safe or it's confusing. Their understanding is about themselves that they are bad. So let's look at what happens uh, when a child is... So I, I, talked to, I'm going to talk about three beliefs we develop. About who God is, belief about myself, and belief about my purpose in life. And of course, in terms of saying that these experiences with a child... Uh, that they have with their parents, how that influences who they believe God is. I'm just making a simple jump here that we will tend to project onto God uh, what, how, what we experience with parents. So a warm and available parent, let's just look at that first column. If we experience as a child a warm and available parent, we will believe that God is available and affectionate. And in terms of ourselves, we will believe that we are valued and then in terms of our purpose regarding life, we will believe that purpose involves having meaningful relationship. Uh, let's go on to the next slide. And this would be uh, what can happen, the experiences that we have that would bring us to an untrue or a deceived belief. Let's just look at the first column again. But by all means, you know, you go ahead and look at the other columns while I'm talking. If instead of a warm and available parent, our experience is having an indifferent or a busy parent, we're going to believe that God is too busy, he's distant, and he doesn't really care. And belief about myself is I'm not really valued or important, and then belief about my purpose in life is to earn value. Now imagine for a moment, let's look at the angry parent column Imagine for a moment if a child had someone help them interpret or understand their experience differently. See, with an angry parent, children are egocentric. They're going to make it about them. What they'll project on God is God is an angry, punishing God. I am bad or flawed, and my purpose in life, it, it, there could be several things, but it's to avoid making others angry. Imagine if they had someone to help them. That's their experience, and their experience is real. It's accurate but their understanding is flawed. Imagine if they had someone to interpret, help them to understand differently. Imagine your grandma lived downstairs and maybe you had an angry parent and, and your grandmother had spoken to that parent a number of times, but the parent was not responsive, but you were responsive. And the grandparent would come and take you in their arms, your grandmother, and take you downstairs and say, I'm so sorry that mommy or daddy is being unfair, but it's not about you. It's their stuff. Let's pray for them and let's invite Jesus to come and comfort and speak to you about who you are right now. It would change the belief of that child. Unfortunately, most of us didn't have grandmothers living downstairs that came and did that for us. So, Let's just look at experience, meaning, belief. I want to add one more piece to this. I want to add the piece of behavior. So you can see experience at the top, understanding, meaning, how we interpret it, belief. What we believe then determines how we react or respond to a situation. It determines my behavior, and that then in turn will impact my experience. What I believe to be true will also impact how I understand the experience. So once a belief is in place, this cycle will reinforce it. And that will work both in a positive way to reinforce a truth or a positive belief, but it will also work in a negative way to reinforce an untruth or negative belief. So let's look at how God changes the way we think. He changes the way we think through faith. 
And I want to look at three different translations of this beautiful, simple, eloquent verse in Hebrews 11.1, 1, where, God, where God defines faith for us. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It is being certain of what we do not see. So let's look at some of the dynamics about faith. Faith comes from God and only from God. Substance and evidence, confidence and assurance, sure and certain of what we hope for and what we cannot see. We do not create and we cannot produce faith. Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Now Jesus is the one who begins this work of faith in us, and he is the one who finishes it. And Hebrews says, it, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder, the author, the pioneer of our faith, and the finisher or perfecter of our faith. For we live by faith and not by sight. But let's just unpack that for a moment to see what it means. Because I've, I've encountered misunderstanding about this verse. It does not mean that it's us up to us to believe and act first and only when we do will God move on our behalf it means that we move in response to the faith that God speaks and deposits in us regardless of what we see or our circumstances yet we always move on what God has first initiated where he has given us the substance and evidence confidence insurance and the ability to be certain and sure now, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing God speak. In Romans it says, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Jesus said that hearing and responding in, uh, to all that God speaks to us is the key to how we live. He said, People do not live by bread alone. Do you remember how he completed that? but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we can only have faith for what Jesus has given us faith for. If we are trying to lay hold and believe something that Jesus has not spoken and given us faith for, the only resource we have to believe it is our own finite, limited, and at times fallen capacity. And there are things we desperately would like to believe and desperately we would like to see happen. But if God has not spoken to us and given us faith for it, then we can try to believe all we want, but it will not make it happen. And what we need to do in those desperate times is we need to ask God to speak to us. He may not speak to us about what's going to happen in that particular situation, but he will always give us substance and evidence of what he's doing in his goodness. And then finally, Jesus speaks and imparts faith to us in many rich and diverse ways. And God's speaking and our hearing comes to us through things we hear, see, intuit, feel, sense, and know. And I know I'm using the word hearing and speaking 
which implies hearing and speaking, but there's so many rich and diverse ways that we sense God. Now, all of the ways that God speaks to us comes through revelation and understanding that the Spirit of God brings. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, God's Spirit has shown you everything. His Spirit finds out everything, even what is deep in the mind of God. And God has given us His Spirit. That is why we don't think the way the people of this world think. That is why only someone who has God's Spirit can understand spiritual blessings. So let me just touch on a few of the ways that God speaks. You'll, you'll be familiar with these. But one of the primary ways that God speaks to us is through Scripture. God breathes. He, he breathed the first time and moved you know, the prophets and the writers of Scripture. He inspired them to write. But he breathes on it again when we read it. And it becomes alive. It becomes personal. It becomes relevant to us. God speaks into our thoughts, the still, small voice of God. I remember about 25 years ago, through a book that Mark Verkler had written, receiving this, this revelation that really kind of rocked my world, that God would speak into my thoughts. <laughs> now, there's lots of stuff that rattles around in my thoughts that isn't God. But this idea that, that, that a thought, it's just, it's my own thought, but it could be God speaking to me. Of course, it was God showing me that and giving me faith to listen for it. But I began to pay attention. And I'm going to give you this, this uh, rather complex device that I worked out that's very helpful to determine this. Uh, I take a piece of paper and I draw a line down the middle. And on one side, I write Jesus. And on the other side, I write, I write not Jesus. And, you know, I've kind of learned a bunch of things. And, and we're all in that journey just about the kindness and the mercy, and the forgiveness, and the goodness, and the graciousness of God. And I've learned to measure my thoughts. And sometimes I'm not sure, but lots of times there's thoughts I go, yeah, that belongs in the not Jesus column. And of course, there's other times it clearly belongs in the Jesus column. Jesus speaks into our imagination and creativity. He speaks through intuitive knowing, prompting, impressions, senses. Jesus speaks through anointing, music, uh, teaching, and preaching. He speaks, through our, he speaks to us through our everyday life experiences, books, movie, art. He speaks to us through nature and beauty. It's amazing how many people relate to that one. He speaks through our relationship with others, the giving and receiving of encouragement, caution, correction, blessing, and affirmation. He speaks as we serve others. And there are ways, there are things that we will come to know about Jesus that we only come to know as we serve others. Uh, he speaks through journaling. He speaks through uh, dreams and visions and sometimes people hear his audible voice and even have angelic visitations. I, I haven't had an angelic visitation yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. Of course, the interesting thing is, you know what happens when people have angelic visitations, right? Boom, right? <laughs> On their faces. Um, Jesus also speaks into and through our emotions. We experience and feel God's love. Our hearts are stirred by his compassion, mercy, and goodness. We feel godly sorrow when he convicts us of sin and zeal to pursue what is right. We feel his comfort in pain, his encouragement in difficulty, joy in his goodness and reverence in his presence. And a sound mind helps us discern 
What emotions are from God that we should allow and embrace? And what emotions are not from him that are still there? They're still present. But we do not want to let those ones control us. By the way, emotions are messengers. We want to listen to the message that they have. But we want to invite Jesus in to help us interpret. When I ask people, and I've been involved in, uh, in counseling. I, I have a graduate degree in counseling psychology. I'm not a psychologist, but my initial career was as a counselor. And then when people ask me why I'm at Edmonton, I say it's Rob's fault. <clears throat> no, it's God's wonderful leading and direction. And Rob was just faithful. You know, Rob had faith to hire me. That's why he hired me. To me, it was astounding. Like I, I'm a counselor, but I, I don't have any pastoral background. And I've loved the word of God and followed God for years, but I wasn't an alliance person. And I haven't been to Bible school. <laughs> Rob had faith to hire me. Um, where was I? Oh, yes. So I have counseled people for decades. And I often ask people, how are you and Jesus doing? And you know, sometimes they tell me about church or about prayer. I have to repeat the question again. How are you and Jesus doing? I can also ask, how do you hear God's voice? And they may say they don't hear or they're not sure. Or they tell me about, you know, sometimes several years ago when they heard him clearly. And then I, when I ask people, how do they sense God's presence? Usually they connect a little more with that one. There's some way that they can identify. However, when I go through this list that I've just been through, I watch people light up. And they recognize that's personal and intimate between them and Jesus, ways that God has speaking to them. And often people have been responding. They've been hearing God and responding, and they're not even aware it's God. I've also had like a couple, you know, really, really fun times with people that don't know Jesus yet. And we start to talk about the times and ways they're hearing the voice of God because we have to hear the voice of God before we get saved. How would we ever receive revelation of who Jesus is? And it's been, it's been really quite wonderful to see them sort of light up with this recognition. Well, that's God? And, and that's God? And All right, so let's look at, in terms of changing the way we think, what our part is. James says, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So God alone gives faith. That is exclusively his part. But we have an essential and vital part, and our part is to believe and respond. It's to take hold and act from what Jesus has spoken to us. Jesus reveals and we agree. He initiates and we respond. He leads and we follow. And this is the movement, the flow of faith and belief between Jesus and us. And it is God's grace that makes both possible. In its remarkable simplicity... The work of God is to believe in Jesus. And Jesus said this in a very simple way. He said, <laughs> wait for this. The work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Our part in believing begins with agreement. We agree with what Jesus reveals and speaks to us, regardless of how unlikely or impossible it seems or how contrary to human wisdom. We agree regardless of current circumstances or the opposing opinions of others. We agree despite our own contradicting thoughts and emotions, for we live by faith 
and not by sight. Believing then moves us to respond. And James says a little further on, My brothers and sisters, if people say they have faith but do nothing, their faith is worth nothing. So you see that people are made right with God by what they do and not by faith alone. When Jesus reveals, he speaks to us and he leads us by the faith that he has deposited. His leading is always personally relevant and practically applicable in our everyday present relationship and circumstances. The longer we follow Jesus, the deeper and more secure our faith becomes. You're familiar with the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, It's most likely menstrual bleeding. She'd had it for 12 years. She had exhausted her resources and not found a cure. Now the particular hardship with the issue of blood was in the Jewish culture she was considered unclean because of the, the menstrual bleeding. And a person who was unclean needed to live in isolation. 12 years in isolation. And we don't, we're not sure how the Spirit of God did this. Somehow she heard about Jesus, this holy man from God who was working miracles and her heart was open and responsive. And the Spirit of God, I believe, whispered to her, to her if you can just touch the hem of his garment, you'll be healed. So she went out and there's a crowd around Jesus. Actually, they're on the way to Jairus' house whose daughter is deathly ill. And this is an interruption, but not an interruption because it actually imparted faith to Jairus. But that's another story. She pushes through this crowd. So she's touching people. Head down maybe. Pushes through the crowd. She touches the hem of his garment and she is instantly healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? Now his disciples say, you know, master, what do you mean who touched you? There's all these people crowding around. Jesus says, no, I felt power go out of me. Who touched me? And this woman comes trembling and she bows at his feet and she tells him her whole story. Now Jesus didn't out her to bring her shame. He outed her so that he could affirm and bless her faith. That she believed and responded. One more thing about this. In the Jewish culture, if someone was unclean and and, and someone clean touched that person, they were made unclean. Jesus just flips that upside down. Because when Jesus touches someone who's unclean, he doesn't become unclean. He makes them clean. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And she is restored, not only physically, but she is restored to community. As faith informs and motivates what we do, our believing and responding brings us into the fulfillment of what Jesus has promised and purposed. The opposite is also true. If we fail to believe and respond to what Jesus has spoken to us, then the faith that was deposited can be stolen, wither and die, or be choked out. And this was the purpose of the parable that Jesus told about the sower. The farmer who went out to sow some seed. And as he was scattering his seed, some fell along the path. Some fell on rocky soil. Other seed fell among the thorns. And still other seed fell on good soil. Four different soil conditions. And later Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. The seed is the word of God that imparts faith. And the soil condition represents the receptivity and responsiveness of the heart 
of those who hear. The seed that fell on the path represents those who hear but do not believe, and the evil one comes along and steals it away. The seed falling on rocky soil represents, the shallow rocky soil represents those who initially hear and joyfully receive, but whose faith wither and dies when they turn away from Jesus because of difficulty or persecution. Likewise, the weed and thorn-filled soil, uh, that condition represents those who initially hear and believe, but the world's riches riches and pleasure or its cares and worries choke out faith. And then finally, (laughs) there is the fertile soil where faith is believed and responded to, finding a place to root, grow, and produce fruit. And here's what Jesus had to say about that soil. Those seeds fell on good ground are the people who listen to the message and keep it in in good and honest hearts. They last and produce a harvest. Now, there's five outcomes from when God speaks to us. We miss it. Now, of course, the problem is we don't know when we miss it. I just know I've missed it so many times because I believe that, that God is continually speaking to us. You know, a wonderful book, Windows of the Soul by Ken Geyer. And the premise of the book is that God is speaking to us all around us. So we miss it, okay? Well, we miss it. Second time is we hear, but we don't recognize it as Jesus. And so we don't respond to it. <clears throat> this fall, uh, I needed to be in Devon. And um, I wasn't running late, but I didn't have a lot of time. I had both our kayaks on top of the car. And it was like this incredibly windy day. And this thought came to me, take those kayaks off the car. And I dismissed it. No, I, you know, it'll be okay. And, I, you know, we might go kayaking this weekend. It'd kind of be a pain in the butt to take them off and put them back on again. I didn't take them off. On the way back... Uh, this gust of wind like it hit the car, it tore the whole rack off, tore the whole trim off the side of my car, tore the rack off, and thankfully, I was in, in the shoulder lane, and they tumbled off into the lane. Well, I have them locked to the rack, and I didn't have the keys for the lock, and I didn't have the keys for the rack, so I can't put them back on. So I kind of pushed them in the shoulder, Anybody I knew with a truck was, was not available. My wife was in British Columbia. <clears throat> so I raced home about 15 minutes, made arrangement for a truck, came back to get them, and guess what? They were gone. Yeah, and the foolish thing is, like, I did U-turns and drove up the highway like three times, like, as if you can miss two kayaks in a, in a, in a roof rack, but they were gone. So that's the second one. We hear, but we don't recognize it as Jesus. Then there's when we hear, we know it's Jesus when we agree, but we put it off and forget. I cannot tell you how many times Jesus has prompted me to, you know, make a phone call or or do an email or or this thing that's 13th on your to-do list, it needs to come up in number one. And I say, oh yeah, great, great idea, Jesus. I'll get right on that. I'm just going to do this first. And then what happens? totally forget. And then I will find out later, right, that that it was very timely that I responded then and I didn't. And then there's when we hear and we just plain disregard. This actually happens to me often in front of the fridge. (laughs) And strangely, God's voice often sounds like my wife. (laughs) Are you really hungry? Uh, Do you really need that? And then 
Thankfully, wonderfully, you know, by God's grace and his persistence, uh, the fifth outcome is that we hear and respond. Let's just look at this cycle again of experience, understanding, belief, and behavior. We experience God when he speaks to us and imparts faith. And we need to experience God. Now, that can feel and, and happen in all kinds of different ways. Subtle and, well, we already went through the whole list. But we need to experience God. He's purposed that we would experience him. And then the Holy Spirit enables us to understand or interpret our experience according to what is true about God, about ourselves, about our purpose in life, about understanding his kingdom, about many different things. Then faith informs what we believe and it changes wrong beliefs or it changes the way we think. We experience God when he speaks and we experience God when we act and our behavior, we believe and act on it. Faith changes the way we think. It aligns what we believe with what is true. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, when we're not in crisis, (laughs) is a really great time to be listening and responding to Jesus. Deepening the substance and evidence of faith in God's goodness and power. Allowing him to renew what we believe in the way we think. Yet the problem is, and I have found this, when our lives are going fairly well, we're vulnerable to distraction, disconnection, dullness, and drift from Jesus. And we can miss the opportunities, the things that he is speaking to us, that he wants us to respond to that would uh, strengthen and deepen our faith. When we experience crisis, trauma, and difficulty, often our first and maybe even our ongoing reaction is to avoid the difficulty, to find relief, or to fix things. We can also at the same time experience a crisis of faith and find ourselves struggling with what we believe. We may find ourselves with a shortage of confidence and assurance in the goodness and the power of God. In a crisis of faith or when we're worn down by chronic stress, loss and grief, or discouragement, it can be difficult to hear God's voice. However, when we're struggling, we have the greatest need to understand what we're experiencing. I've never had anybody come into my office and say, Michael, you know, can you pray for me? I just really need help. I'm trying to understand why my life is going so well. (laughs) Doesn't happen. But it is true when we're struggling. See, God has made us. It's part of how he's made us created in his image. He's made us with a need for meaning and to understand things. And it's in crisis when that need is at its greatest and crisis can be a powerful motivator in our seeking God. God is present. We, we, may, we may wonder where he is, but God is present in our seeking. He is at work there. He is, he is present in the longing that we have for him to give us faith, to cause us to be quiet, that we would listen and follow in looking to him alone for rescue. So let's talk about entering God's rest. The passage I'm going to read for Hebrews, uh, the latter part of Hebrews chapter 3 and the first part of Hebrews chapter 4 is, is just a remarkable passage that talks about what it is to enter the rest of God. And the context is the nation of Israel. 
as they stood on the threshold of entering the promised land that God had promised to their forefathers, you know, the land flowing with milk and honey. But what happened is, as they stood on the threshold, because of unbelief, they failed to enter. They failed to come into God's provision, and they failed to come into God's rest. Now, God had given them much faith. They had faith. He delivered them from Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. Yet when they sent spies, 12 spies, into the promised land, the spies came back and confirmed, you know, the grapefruits are as big as melons or whatever they said. The land was flowing with milk and honey. But they said their soldiers are as giants and they have fortified cities. And the people chose fear over faith, believing in what they saw by sight rather than the substance and evidence of what God had promised. And because of their unbelief, that whole generation over the next 40 years, wandered and died in the desert. The exception of those 12 spies were two men, Joshua and Caleb. And they came back and they said, it's everything God promised. God is with us. Let's go for it. But the people refused to listen to them. So here's what it says. The writer of Hebrews says, so we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. The promise to enter his rest is still good. And we must take care that none of you miss out, for only those who believe can enter his rest. So in believing and responding to what Jesus has spoken to us, we enter God's provision and rest. Experiencing the rest of God is not the absence of pain or difficulty. We can know his rest during great hardship and heartache. God's rest is not distraction, denial, indifference, or resignation. His rest is a quietness and confidence that he speaks to us and that we lay hold of and believe in spite of what's going on. <laughs> it is a quietness and confidence in the certainty of the way that Jesus will make for us through what he's already accomplished on the cross. In the rest that God gives, we cease from our own, stref- <coughs> our own efforts, our striving to enter, uh, and, and we're able to enter into his rest. Ironically, entering God's rest may require effort on our part because we may need to stand against every contrary voice and some of those voices are in our own head. We need to stand against every conflicting thought and every wayward emotion, every opposing circumstance to choose and act consistent with what Jesus has spoken and how he is leading. And it says in Hebrews, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience as the nation of Israel. A sound mind is one that has been renewed by experiencing and believing in the goodness of God. This is our refuge in times of trouble, our resting place. And Jesus' invitation to us, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So, in closing, if you can relate to any of the D words, distraction, disconnect, dullness and drift, then you're hearing Jesus this morning. Right? He's giving you faith. Respond to him. You just, just ask for and receive his forgiveness and experience his goodness. 
And if you've really been pressing into God, or if you haven't been, we all need the same thing. Let's ask Jesus to increase our sensitivity and responsiveness to the ways he's speaking and the faith he's imparting. I I pray this every day. Jesus, make me more responsive, more sensitive and more responsive to your voice. And then understand and pursue how God has made you, the ways you connect with him. When I went through those ways, um, there's, there, for every person, there's a couple that will stand out for you. The others might not do a whole lot for you. Wonderful book, Gary Thomas, called Sacred Pathways. He identifies sort of nine primary ways that we experience God. And then the last thing is, um, make yourself available. Just really, the encouragement is make yourself available. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.